Hello everyone, I'm Ryan, the host of the Maximize podcast for Gen Z. On this podcast we talk about mental health and all the other issues that relate to it. We're speaking to new guests weekly who are breaking taboos, sharing their own personal story and also engaged in vital areas of the mental health landscape. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Maximize podcast for Gen Z. Joined here today by Adam Rutstein, Chief Technology Officer, Unify Giving. It's good to have you on, Adam. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. Appreciate it. So you've came on today to discuss your, your lived experience with ADHD. I suppose at the start of that journey, could you talk me through what were the events, kind of what sort of led up to you being diagnosed with ADHD whenever you were younger? Of course. I mean, I was only diagnosed uh, March this year, actually. So I'm 33. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was something of interest because ultimately throughout my life, I've noticed reoccurring events that are happening, you know, through maybe lack of focus, through interrupting people, through, you know, finding myself in different situations, maybe led by RSD, which is, you know, re- rejection sensitive disorder, ultimately linking with ADHD. So there were so many things that I became aware of as growing up, but didn't identify them as ADHD until kind of education, probably more awareness, really. So uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a late bloomer. Yeah, no, that's so interesting to hear. So I started off. I presume that you've been diagnosed with it uh, whenever you were younger, because obviously a lot of people do. But I actually I have heard quite a few case studies now where people are being diagnosed later and later and later, but despite having like all the symptoms and whatnot, you know, occurring yeah. different aspects throughout their life. So there you go. I think. I think it's probably, perhaps it's just of interest for you. I was actually tested for ADHD as well whenever I was younger. I was never, I never actually received an official diagnosis, but I definitely do have it to a certain degree. (laughs) I, my focus is just very, very scattershot. And I think it's interesting. And I think it brings up such an interesting debate. So not, not even just with ADHD, but I think with sort of, what would you say, neuroatypicality in general? You know, I think like there is a big debate now about, you know, how much does society actually serve people who, you know, deviate from what's designated as neurotypical absolutely and it's what an interesting stat is like that adhd along with dyslexia actually as well are actually very overrepresented in entrepreneurs which i find to be an interesting kind of like it's something like 20 percent of entrepreneurs have yeah. adhd or you probably read stephen stephen bartlett just announced yeah. ADHD today so <laughs> that's, that's probably where you read that fact yeah yeah see right yeah and i think that presents a very interesting interesting angle to go on because obviously he's a hugely successful entrepreneur and whatnot what do you think it is about adhd that maybe obviously it causes maybe some problems in traditional mm. education system and whatnot but what what do you think is the superpower for say entrepreneurs mm. and how how do you think it could be a superpower in other aspects of life it's a really good question because ultimately it's like identifying us our own unique brains and i think we've all Funnily enough, got our own superpower, regardless if we're neurodivergent or neurotypical. We've all got something we can identify as a unique ability. I think with ADHD, what you find is that throughout your life, you tend to hyper-focus and you become curious on things that, you know, a bit weird and sometimes they just crop up and you like really dive into it and then you come away from it. So I think what, what, it, what you'll find is that people with ADHD challenges. And I think that gives that entrepreneurial spirit. It's like labeling something, you know, if if I have ADHD and I'm, you know, I don't know, I will be more likely to go out and search for food as amongst other group, okay? So I'm more likely to get killed as well. So 
does that make me courageous or does that make me stupid? Mm. So ultimately you can use and, and figure out your, your superpower. As long as you start looking at those things that are kind of relevant throughout your life, whether it's what you're interested in and whether you spark a debate and you become really passionate, you don't know where that passion has just come from. And you're like, Oh, I'm really passionate about this topic. So that that's, that's where you start noticing where you focus your energy. So if you start noticing your, your attention to something, if you then realize that's part of maybe why you want to do that thing, then you tap into that further and then you, you end up going for it. And that's, that's the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, is, is the tenacity to continue going. And that's with ADHD is like you don't give up. I think is, is part of ADHD maybe, do you think it's maybe kind of like, what would you say, a heightened kind of intolerance of things that are just really boring for you? You know, because a lot of people will be able to kind of, what would you say, sort of compartmentalize really well so even like the if they don't enjoy their job that well they'll be like oh i can do it a lot of people can do that really successfully and i'm very very envious of that in some ways because I, I wish i could be able to do that but i seriously cannot and I, I just remember i don't know if you had a similar experience with mathematics in school i completely detested mathematics i really liked english and science and lots of other things but i completely detested it and as i've done a little bit of reading now like when i'm a, a little bit older i've realized that it, mathematics is actually very the way at least the way it's taught in schools it might not just be it by itself but very, at least the way it's taught in schools it causes a lot of problems for people who you know who have ADHD and I think it's a pretty interesting there's a pretty interesting body of research that kind of explores that and I think I'm trying to wonder what what do you think it is about mathematics at least the way it's taught in schools it causes problems for people with ADHD because I remember one of one of the clinical case histories I read whenever I was a, a mental health project worker I got this um, client's case history and it was struggled with statistics in university possible ADHD mm -hmm. in brackets beside hmm. it and Interesting. That, that prompted me to be like well that's and they've made an implicit association there I want to know where that's come from and then I kind of found out what kind of some of the, the cultural things and stuff behind that what do you think it is about mathematics the way it's taught in school that could po cause problems for someone with ADHD visual visual representation a commonality between or shall I say a trait is you know, known of creativity, out of the box thinking. Okay, mathematics, along with science, is quite rigid. And and you know, you know, when you're taught, this is one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. So when you are learning something, and I think if you do identify and and have been diagnosed with ADHD, or you're just kind of going along that path, you're you're constantly wanting to think, why does one plus one equals two? And that's the curiosity that leads it to not be so interesting because actually who designed one? Where did plus come from? That would be my question. And suddenly you're no longer interested in maths. You're interested in theory or, you know, history or, and that, and that's how and why, because if you add any other topic, okay, I wasn't exactly affluent in school, but it opens up a spiral of things with. English become creative art or geography and, you know, different cultures and how they address ADHD. So, you know, there's a lot of expansiveness, whereas I think when you, you, unless you're looking at an unsolved mathematics equation, which you're trying to solve with ADHD, because Albert Einstein would have been one of those people at that time, then, then that's, that's a fantastic trait and keep going. And hopefully you, you solve some amazing equations, but at a young age, it's hard to decipher that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think 
So it's very resonant with myself as well, because I certainly like whenever I was being taught mathematics in school and I was kind of like, oh, where does where does mathematics come from? You know, and then like, you know, you start doing a deep dive into the Babylonians and Greeks and whatnot. And yeah, but none of that was going on in my class. It was still like, oh, you know, obviously we covered Pythagoras theorem like everyone does, but then it was trigonometry and calculus and all the rest of it. But I didn't care about that at all. I just wanted to get rid of it so that's why i was like as soon as i got my gcse mods i was like no never gonna hear that again but i think it's kind of taps into a broader question though doesn't it because like in the case of mathematics it's a very important question i think because in the case of mathematics mathematics requirements are so important like they're really like really like what would you say like push forward by society you know have you got your gcse mods have you got your gcse english mm. one of the real core subjects that a lot of people would like you to have and that sort of thing is that kind of I'm sure that's, that that probably causes a lot of problems when you consider that neurodivergent people are what are 20-25% of the population. That's already, you know, making the process of education, you know, at least traditionally through quite a you know, quite a difficult one for them, you'd have to say. Well, well, traditional schooling and education has totally transformed and I don't think it's just specific around mathematics. I think it's just in terms of how do we keep not just neurodivergent, but neurotypical students, you know, entertained, constant, you know, with the, with the realms of TikTok and the, the swiping and, and seeing content within seconds and, and being continually refreshed with dopamine. Someone who is with ADHD is constantly looking for a dopamine rush. So if they are constantly bored in their lessons, you are constantly not going to learn anything. Mm, yeah. And that's, and that's and that's not the child or the student's fault, nor is it the teacher's fault, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, a curriculum, a process and a structure has followed and has, you know, worked for the majority of the population. Yeah. But as you say, with the 20 percent of the people that are affected, if we diverted their attention to maybe alternatives, maybe that 20 percent starts doing other jobs that, you know, provide another, you know, better. So I don't know. It's just It's just the way you channel people's attention and mm -hmm. i think it's very hard in school because you you ultimately don't know where your attention should be because ultimately it's being pummeled with loads of different information which again with someone with adhd can struggle to process yeah no i think it's all but needing to be tuned yeah no i completely agree i think you make a good point that obviously the way the education system is one thing but the way it's been designed it obviously has worked for quite a, a quite a large portion of the population or else it would have been done away with ages ago so it's a really good point but i think i suppose there is that there is that fundamental tension because neurodivergent people who are neurodivergent you know are you know a good slice of the population in a way so it's there is a bit of a tension there even if it has worked you know for a few other people but i think what do you think what would your advice be to someone who say is a 15 year old version of us say, sitting in their maths class bored out of their head you know would rather run out the door like than listen to another <laughs> Listen, listen to the maths teacher drone on what do you think is what would your advice be to them not just in that situation but say yeah. other areas of their life they've maybe struggled with their adhd is presenting struggles for them what would your advice to them be what do you what would you advise them to do you know to be aware of yeah it's it's a really good point and a very good question because if i were to reflect back to me being bored i think if you look back into how you would be today if you're bored in your job how would you be would you get up and go would you leave and and it really depends on the accountability and responsibility as a student it's really hard to understand responsibility because you you haven't hit that stage yet 
But what I would say to someone who is bored or doesn't want to do something is in that moment in time, sit with that boredom. What happens during that boredom? Do you start thinking of things? What are you thinking of? What is your brain trying to escape you from? And then what are you trying to fulfill it with? Because technically when you act on something when you are bored, it so that would be, you know, a, a point is today even we struggle. Like if you sit and don't look at your phone, how long can you sit and not look at your phone for without thinking? thinking that there's someone who's messaged you or an email or something that's important. You have created the notification in your mind before the notification has hit your phone. And that is the problem that we have probably in education system is that they can't touch their phone, yet they are being distracted mentally. So now what do you do with that attention? It's a very, it's a very probing question, isn't it? You know, in a way, it's not, not a very easy one to deal with, I think. It's especially as you said, you know, the curriculum and like the system and whatnot set up, you know, it's a very, it's, it is a very, very probing question in a way. What do you think if you say you were designing an education system or an employment systems, let's say, or what, what sort of things do you think could be put in there to help accommodate for people like you, not just with ADHD, but mm. maybe neurodivergent in some other ways? Yeah. Another a good point is that if we're, you know, everything is tech-based now and i think the majority of students or young educators would have a mobile device how i would do that is i would utilize technology in a way of quick responsive feedback so if you have a class where you don't know who's neurodivergent and you then have people who are they could identify themselves through either the app or maybe they say this way of learning accommodates to their purpose you know in what they're studying that's the hardest thing, right? Today is accommodating to a multitude of needs when a when a way of teaching has been so restrictive. What we need to do is not just offer one linear way of education. It's ultimately a spectrum. For example, you want to study a course, you can go to either A, this lecture. You can watch this lecture in virtual reality. You could listen to this virtual, listen to this lecture in an audio, you know, offering all of these different options for a person to consume that information at their pace. That's the problem that we have today is that when you're in a class, you are confined in one hour. Everyone's brain processes information very differently, yet we are all expected to take it in at the same pace. That That's hard. And that's why we should all be given opportunities to reflect, to continue reviewing information if we've maybe missed an opportunity to that that's what I'm thinking is like that's how we you know imagine you could literally watch your class back after you've just done it right you could see the questions that were asked maybe you know I don't know that that sort of stuff I think really needs to be kind of embraced so that ultimately more questions are asked that was a long-winded answer thank you no it was a really 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 that was a brilliant answer thanks so much I think it's it's it it does kind of open up a big what do you say can of worms overall doesn't it because it kind of like it makes us realize that you know like just how even though we share with all the same species and you know we're all we all have the same you know maybe there's a lot of genetic characteristics we share a lot of you know all of that totally valid but it also shows that there's such a great you know disparity just in how we even approach life you know if you go to individual people you know 
and like at the level of processing power you know at the level of you know how you actually assimilate reality into your mind and then act on it and i think when you get the image of the classroom you know where everyone sits at the same desk and as you following the one teacher in a way and i think you can just imagine it's kind of like if you look at a class of 15 kids you know they're all wearing the same uniform granted they're all in the same school being taught by the same teacher in that moment studying the same subject but they're all relating to that same subject that teacher you know that, that classroom that school in a vastly different way each one of them i think that's it's it tells us something really really profound i think about human nature to be honest well yeah i think it just shows that we you know if we look at today animal species for example we tend to corrugate them because of identifying them by their looks and their characteristics so we know a pigeon is a group when you see a pigeon right and i think that's how we've maybe gone away about human beings is that we we've wanted to educate at the same level we wanted to give the same curriculum at the same level and then we obviously give options as you get older to to kind of explore that but if you are you know i don't want to go down the word of doctrination but it's ultimately the the way of this is the curriculum now how can we possibly fit a curriculum into a brain that is not fitting of that curriculum right it's it's almost like the brain should teach the new curriculum because ultimately that is ever adapting you know what are we learning from today like for example how are kids relatively learning have we adapted the way that we educate have we made any changes whatsoever based on you know if we went to school today and we went and gone you know would we feel that we were gone back in time or move forward would we feel like even with the tech advancements that we have in our communications through through zoom and ai would we be feeling that enhancement through learning at school what 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 would it be showing like how would it be introduced or would it be still set on the structure of the curriculum because that that that's what i feel like when i was at school i learned about more you know common knowledge than it was current knowledge because times are changing i mean we weren't prepared for this evolution when we were learning school so therefore the school then become null and void at the time i don't want to say it is but i think we just have a different way of education now yeah i think that's a really excellent point i think certainly whenever i was going through school there was guys Guys and girls, actually, who say, you know, like whenever they were misbehaving, they were, they were kind of dealt with in a way. It wasn't seen through the lens. There was no, there was actually no, obviously you got your standard kind of, you know, sex health education people coming in, talk about that, you know, don't do drugs, don't do alcohol. You got a lot of that in school. There was no one who actually came in, come in to my school to talk about mental health that I can remember, actually. You know, I, I think I left about 10 years ago now, but was, I can't actually remember a single person coming in to actually talk about that or it was, wasn't really brought up. I don't even think they had a counselor. There was a nurse, but not a counselor, but but a lot of the kids who were like, say, misbehaving, say, in some classes were like, it was disciplinary approach was kind of taken, you know, you get a detention, you get a report card, but there was no kind of effort to be like, and obviously phone parents if misbehavior was too, too much, but there was no kind of effort to like, what would you say, tackle the, why maybe they were behaving like that, you know, in a way it was just, all right, here's your detention, here's your report card, you know. like that's there, were, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a why. We don't ask why enough anyway in our society. Yeah. We, uh-huh. we, we always respond with how do we change the action straight away rather than why the action was there in the first place. 
So it's a, it's a corrective course. Ultimately, you know, that person has two roads they could go down. We could push them down one road by slapping them on the wrist. Or we say, okay, what happened in this example? And, and then understand why they got distracted or what was it that kind of, you know, was it that, you know, they had a deadline they had to hit that day and they forgot that they had that deadline and therefore distracted in that moment in time. And, you know, it's like us as human beings, we're walking down the street and we can bump into each other. We, one of us could have had a bad day. One of us could have a good day. We treat each other differently based on how we're feeling in that moment. But kids are emotions are like that, right? So a lot of it should be the why before we we respond with action and and ultimately learning that way yeah yeah i completely agree it's kind of like a react reactive you know and correct reactive yeah yeah that's it reacting to the 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 symptom like rather than kind of it's kind of like cutting off the head of the hydra rather than dealing with the body in a way because the head's going to sprout sprout up again it's probably a helpful enough analogy there but i think and and it it, it does over time you know And, and this is why maybe i was diagnosed later on in life because it was subdued down, it was pushed down, it was saying, hey, this is, you're naughty, you're, you know, destructive, you're, you know, this and this, and then you associate that and that maybe I am. So then you drop your confidence or drop your personality based on those definitions that you were wrong in society. But actually, it was just you being you. And you just have to identify that as, okay, I am aware of it now. Yeah, no, completely agree. I think it's it can be very impactful on a young person's, you know, uh, self-conception and, and self-esteem you know i think you know if because maybe they're internalized i know i certainly did for quite a while during my teenage years you know you internalize kind of like oh there's something fundamentally wrong with me everyone else is like this they're normal you know like that word gets thrown around a lot but what's normal shifts every generation anyway you know but your that sort of dialogue begins to take place you know certainly it did in my mind oh i'm not normal you know and all the rest of that and i, I certainly i'm just trying to find a click though Mm. It's just trying to find our click. We yeah. as an individual and species are trying to find our community. So when we're growing up in school, we're trying to find friends. We're trying to find places where we fit in. And ultimately, if we, I, you, I don't fit in with that ideal or that kind of group because we don't feel that, we ultimately separate ourselves and think we are different. But actually, we are just unique and just have a different way of seeing things. And it's just that is just the way that you see things you are not different in the sense of you you are weird or odd mm. or strange yeah. it's none of those things it's all of that and the positive that comes with it yeah it's a mixed bag at the end of the day i think uh, sean flores who i really really brilliant guy like you know he, i had him and interviewed him sort of around must be about five six weeks ago now he sort of spoke about and his podcast it was about a different topic he had ocd and we talked about that but he spoke about kind of finding not 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 just you know a community but your community in a way so a community within a community your 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 niche your perfect community your tribe you really <laughs> it really really emphasize you know the the importance of that i think you know not just a community and society they're very abstract but you know your actual community within the community was really put forward by him i think it's really important there's a book called lost connections which ultimately talks about how we're all searching for a connection somewhere that is purely on the basis of how do we and that goes to a kind of more of a a larger scale topic as an individual but i think with adhd diagnosis is that you you ultimately do feel different because 
you you have this diagnosis and now you're trying to identify what those differences are and that's the problem is you start thinking those differences are problems then they're not positives because difference is always been seen as a different as in a bad thing yeah. like oh you are indifferent but actually different doesn't always mean bad it just means it could be an alternative or a different way of thinking and that's how we've got to start thinking is you know, we've got to stop labeling ADHD as, oh, you have a problem. It's not, you are just different. And that's it. Simple. No, I completely agree. So, and it's but also unique. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think it's, it's also true that, you know, like what's different, say like what was different, considered different, say, you know, 19th century, you know, might not be considered so different now. So for example, in the 19th century, you know, if you lived in, you know, the United Kingdom holding, you know, very, say, you know, holding very sexist beliefs, holding very racist beliefs, you know, about certain people was probably normal. Like whenever Francis Galton, you know, wrote his book, you know, no one was like, oh, those are rubbish opinions. Everyone was like, yeah, I agree with that. You know, and like, so like, but now you'd be like, obviously that's atrocious. Mm. But so what what could be conceived as different in one like sort of historical time period might actually become the norm. Like through our own self-realization might be like, oh, this, this is actually a really beneficial way to live like you know i think it's just it's just it's the it's the challenges that people put in society and it's the ones that open their mouths i think loud enough and that's again with someone with adhd you're not scared to do that you're 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 more vocal and you're allowed you, you know you feel more that you have to stand for something a lot of the people that i find that i connect with who do have adhd or have been back or wanting to change something out you know the problems that they see in the world and and i think that's just a great Thing to connect with other people on is that okay we we have this thing which we do struggle with but ultimately we want to do something with it positively so i think it's just finding those people that don't judge you for for being maybe indifferent to their belief systems but it's ultimately finding that balance and then finding people who are a bit like you that makes you think you're not just the only one yeah yeah what we kind of touched on ADHD, for example, being like a bit of a mixed bag, which, you know, I certainly think it is. What are some of the ways for someone who's listening? What are some of the ways that ADHD is like, say, has caused you problems in your life or given you struggles? And what are some of the ways where it's really you find it really to be like a superpower and a source of great, you know, inspiration and drive? Yeah, of course. I think look, one of the things that I, I struggle with daily is anxiety. Anxiety I've lived with my, all my life, but I think predominantly with ADHD, you find that it, it wants, it wants, it's like, it's like a little voice, but it's not, it's kind of like feel this sense of urgency to always be doing something or working on something. And if you're not, you can become restless or, or, or like, kind of like, what am I doing? Am I not doing enough? And then the, the thought process starts. So you, you, the negative side of ADHD is that you've got this relentless energy, but then you've also got this sometimes relentless out of control thinking. So what I've learned and, you know, over time is you don't have to listen to every thought that gets processed is number one, treat them like clouds. And number two is how, how do you identify as real anxiety or anxiety that, you know, is being, you know, in heightened by your, you know, your, your ADHD. So that's one thing I live with every day in terms of my, you know, how do I maintain it and what's my superpower is that when I, for example, there will be a situation where I have to act very quickly, or there's an incident or an emergency, or there's, for example, something I'm really, really fascinated about. Hyperfocus is one of those amazing things that I, you know, I will switch onto it. I will, I could 
build something or learn something very, very quickly. And ultimately your brain just switches into this gear. It's like, how can I put it? You know, for example, putting your car into first gear and just continue to rev, ready to go. And, and then you're ready to fire and then you go. So that that's kind of like a really positive, you know, I guess superpower. But another thing is like, I feel like sometimes I have spider senses. Like I, I honestly feel like I notice everything that happens around me from sounds to, you know, I don't know, some the, the pipes changing in the house because the heating's come on or high frequencies from a loud pitch sound. It's just those things. And, you know, that, that to someone else doesn't bother them. But if you're in a restaurant trying to relax and something's bugging you, you don't relax. So it, it is hard at times. And that sounds really petty, but people will understand that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that actually sounds very similar to my own life experience. You know, I really don't like sort of, I'm really sensitive to cars driving past. So say I'm walking down the street, like, and there's like noise, people are beeping their horns or like there's a car speeding up. I really am sensitive to that. Really not. And I really, I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't stand it sort of thing. I think, or when you're in, say, like if you're in a venue and there's really, really, really loud music, obviously. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, I feel really overly sensitive in a way to a lot, a lot of certain noises. And I think and the other aspect, I think I definitely resonate with what you've said is like, if I had like, say, a book and I'm really, really interested in that book, I, I could finish it in a few hours and just really, it's all bombs get off in my brain. But whenever I'm forced to read something that really doesn't interest me at all, no chance. I'm just, you know, that's, you're lucky. You're lucky if you get past the first page. It, no it's chance. so fascinating. Yeah. And it's just, I think. It's- it is fascinating though because it just shows that you it's not laziness it's not something that you you know it's not that you're controlling it you know it's it's something that is affected by the dopamine release in your brain that ultimately allows you to feel excited you know i don't know interested curious and that fires this fire in your belly wherever it is and you just go with it and sometimes you don't really look at the risks that are involved with it Adam, it's been absolutely great having you on. I've really no, thank you. Conversation certainly. I think your life experience with it and some of the things I experienced in, in school and whatnot and work and whatnot as well has been really resonant in a way. I've definitely like, oh yeah, that to me, you know. And I think hopefully conversation keeps continuing on a broader level. Yeah. And we become more and more aware as a species of look, we've got a lot of different brains in our midst. Cookie cutter approaches to life, whether it's in education or work, are not gonna make the cut anymore they're not going to work so hopefully that content that keeps we'll going. find a way we always have done and that's that's the purpose of you know humanity is to to continue to expand on our horizons and you know that's that's the way we're all going to do brilliant thanks very much adam all the thanks best thanks a lot nice nice to you take care all the best bye-bye Thank you for listening, everyone, to this week's episode of the Maximize Podcast for Gen Z. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at maxim.app and please follow our LinkedIn profile, MaximVR, and our website, www.maximvr.com.